Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money. We look at the stock market and why it goes up and down. We look at financial legislation that impacts your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deep dive into a financial planning topic to help you understand more of the details. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to send me a question. So send a question to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and then I'll be in contact with you to get some more details, and then we'll come up with a way to answer the uh, question on the show so that it can provide education for the rest of the listeners. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Summary for the week ending August 2nd, 2019. And last week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went down 2.6%. The S&P 500 went down 3.1%. The NASDAQ went down by 3.92, so it keeps getting worse as I go through each of these indices. But remember, the NASDAQ is always going to be the most volatile because it tends to have smaller companies. They tend to be very growth-oriented. They tend to be technology-weighted a little bit. And so the NASDAQ will tend to go up more or down more on compared to what the S&P 500 would do or maybe even the Dow. So the NASDAQ was down 3.92%. Gold was up 2.4%. Oil was down 1.73%. Now, probably the news of the week, which led to some of the market activity, is what happened to Treasury yields. Because, remember, I didn't tape a show last week. So two weeks ago, the Treasury yield, that's the 10-year, was 2.057%. And now it's at 1.846%. And if you remember back on the show several weeks ago, it was actually at two and a quarter percent. That's because this week, Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve made a quarter point cut to the interest rate invi- to the interest rate because they were talking about the environment with the tariffs and some of the economic possible storm clouds they saw in a distance. And so they lowered it by a quarter point. But they also announced the end of the quantitative easing. So basically what Powell was signaling this week was a one and done. And that wasn't what the market wanted to hear. It wasn't what the administration wanted to hear. They wanted to see a bigger rate cut than a quarter percent. And they wanted to see at the beginning of a um, easing program by the Federal Reserve again so that interest rates would be continued to be cut. Which, you know, we've talked about on the show before, economically doesn't make a lot of sense because the economy has been fine. The tariffs are an issue And actually, I want to talk a little bit today about what's going on in the market this morning. 
So be aware that last week the market went down because um, the interest rate cut wasn't what it wanted. And also there was a ratcheting up of the tariff on the part of the president against China. So this morning, this is Monday, August 5th, 2019. And when I began taping the show, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down well over 500 points because China, in retaliation to our tariffs, has devalued their currency. They can do that because it's China, and that very strong central government ability lets them change the valuation on things like currency, where we would actually have a much harder time getting something like that accomplished in the United States if we could do it at all. Well, by devaluing the currency, that offsets some of the impact of the tariff which was raising the price. So if you, if you take the devaluation along with the tariff, then you wind up in more of a neutral environment. So that's why they did it. Well, the market isn't happy at all about that, and, and really sort of rightly so, because it does make a um, major, it, it will cause major issues to our stock market, the global markets are roiling as a result of it. So we're going to have to wait and see. But I think China is indicating that if we want to have a tariff war with them, they're more than happy to get into it and really don't have any lines that they won't cross to see what's going on. We need to be very careful with this tariff environment. We need to see what's going on because there may be long-term market ripples from it, which may make that quarter point cut actually at the end of the day have been a better idea than it looks like it was right now. It will also be interesting to see. We've had a horrible weekend with the shootings. Um, if you're listening to this as the podcast or if you're listening to this later in the week, remember that I'm taping this the Monday after the shootings in El Paso and Dayton. And there is so much grief and anguish on the part of people and people demanding that something happen. And, you know, I stay in my lane on this show. I talk about financial legislation. But I do think there's a possibility that this is going to open a conversation that perhaps the markets may be down somewhat today as well because they're looking ahead to the 2020 election. We'll just have to wait and see how all of this plays out. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I want to start out talking today about a reduction in the amount of home equity mortgage that it's possible to take out. So the Federal Housing Administration, the FHA, has announced that they are going to cut the amount of cash-out refinancing from 85% of the home's value to 80% of the home's value. You know, as houses have gone up in value, people have been cashing out the equity from their homes and using it for other things. You know, maybe they're buying furniture with it, they're remodeling with it, maybe they're looking and paying off other debts with their home. 
So, you know, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had already said that you could only take out 80% of your home's equity in a home equity cash out, a home equity loan. So this is just bringing the rest of the lending market in line with that. And so since this is FHA, I'm not sure if it's possible for a private mortgage person or a private lender to still allow you to take out more, but I would suspect right now, pretty much across the board, it's only possible to strip out 80% of the equity. I want to talk about why I don't think that's a bad idea. You know, I, I am not hesitant on the show to tell you what I think about things, but I want to talk a little bit about borrowing against your home's equity and times that I think it's a really bad idea for most people and times that it might make more sense. So let's start out with the fundamental reason why I want you to be very careful if you're thinking about using your home's equity to pay for something else. Remember that if your entire financial life goes wrong side out, you have roughly two kinds of debt. You have secured debt and unsecured debt. Secured debt is debt that's on something tangible. It's secured by an asset. So secured debt is your mortgage and secured debt would be your automobile. Unsecured debt is credit card debt because there isn't really an asset. Yes, you bought a lot of stuff, but you can't, it doesn't have an automatically assigned collateral to it. So if everything starts going wrong, if you have to declare bankruptcy, then you can get rid of your unsecured debt. If you put all of your credit card debt into your mortgage, you might lose your home. So if things are looking really bad and you're afraid that you cannot pay your bills, be very, very careful with the concept of paying off unsecured debt with secured debt. Because with the unsecured debt, there's really nothing they can take. But with the secured debt, they can take your house if you can't pay your mortgage. And if you add more loan against your house, you're going to increase your mortgage payment. Now, nobody goes down this road thinking that that's going to be the outcome. But I really want you to be careful. I'm not sure that I have a problem with them letting you take 80% of the equity out of your house rather than 85 because I don't want you to lose your house. I suspect you don't want to lose your house. And I see people use their mortgage like a revolving line of credit. And every time they get a little equity in the house, they strip it back out to go buy something else. That can be very problematic. And it can cause you at the end of the day to get so far upside down and underwater that you end up losing everything. And I want you to be careful of that. Again, the other part of this is homes have been going up in value. Now, it's not a 2008 environment, but homes have been going up in value. And so the potential equity in your house has been going up as your home has been worth more, not just a function of paying it down, but actually the value increasing. 
Well, remember back to 2008. It's a cautionary tale about what can go wrong. Your house may not be worth what it's worth right now forever. So you don't want to mortgage it to the hilt and have something go wrong that then you've got entirely more debt than the property's even worth. So the second story I want to talk about today is a financial advisor. Her name is Dawn Bennett, and this is all over the news. You can look it up. Just you can Google her name. And she was running a Ponzi scheme with her clients. And now I've got an article here out of investment news that I'm looking at a little bit. So I'm I'm reading just a bit of this. It said that what she would do is um, she would provide false and misleading statements, including the risks of investing in DJB Holdings, how investors' funds would be used, that the loans were liquid and guaranteed by DJB Holdings and inventories. Okay, so you haven't heard of DJB Holdings, right? Yeah, I hadn't either. DJB stands for Dawn Bennett, and I'm not sure what her middle name was, but it's probably something like Jean or Joan. So what this financial advisor was doing was she created her very own investment product that was to benefit her, and then she got her clients to invest in it. And of course, there wasn't anything to it. It was a Ponzi scheme. So here is your cautionary tale out of this story. You need to absolutely understand what you're investing in. Now, I'm not going to say that it is wrong to invest in something illiquid or something that's a startup or something that's really sort of an under-the-radar investment because I don't know your personal situations. I am going to say that for the majority of people, owning a liquid investment, something that sells on the open market, something that you know there's a ready-made market for, is typically going to be a much better idea than getting way off the beaten path. Understanding what you own, knowing you can sell it, knowing how you get your money out of it, even going so far as having like audited financials that you review if you've got some concerns will go a long way into keeping you from being frauded. And it's very easy for someone to gain your trust. You know, a con is the nicest person you've ever met. They're the easiest person you've ever met to talk to. They're good at their job. Their job is to con you. So you have to be a little bit suspicious and very, very careful because this is all the money you have. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. I want to just finish up one last thing about poor Don Bennett. Apparently, with some of the money that she stole from her investors, she hired priests in India to perform religious ceremonies to ward off federal regulators. So, if you're going to be a planner, I guess you need to plan a way to not get in trouble. 
So in this Plan Your Prosperity segment, I just thought that was too funny not to share with you. Um, so if you're, going to, if you're going to do an illegal activity, you should plan in advance to try to get those nasty federal regulators warded off from discovering your schemes. So compared to that, this next section is rather dull, but it's really important. So what we're talking about today in the Plan Your Prosperity segment is looking at different kinds of life insurance. And specifically, we're looking most at the comparison between term life and whole life. I always worry when people try to make something sound too easy. And I suspect if you listen to financial podcasts, radio shows, you read personal finance columns, you've heard the concept of buy term and invest the difference, that nobody should own whole life because whole life is just created to make money for the insurance agent. So what you should do is you should buy term life and you should invest the difference and then use that invested difference in order to pay the difference between the term and the whole as a benefit if something happens to you. Okay, so I will begin by saying many times I like term insurance. But let's look at this a little bit more closely because anytime something just rolls off the tongue that easily, it's probably too simple. And I really think that the buy term and invest the difference phrase doesn't examine all of the potential things that can go wrong. Remember that term life goes in place for a period of time a term. And you can get term life with different lengths of time. So 10-year term, 20-year term. I'm not sure how much passed. I think there's probably 25. You know, every day they create a new insurance product. So I'm not sure how long you could find term insurance for. But the problem is when that term is over, you have no insurance at all. So the day the term ends, the insurance goes away. If you can get the term policy extended because you are now a number of years older than you were when it was first put into place, then that term costs much more money. And it's possible that you've developed a physical condition during the period of time of the term and you can't even get it extended. So if you're going to buy term, I want you to think about just having insurance for that term period of time. And if that doesn't work, then perhaps the term doesn't work. Whole life, on the other hand, costs more at the beginning of paying for the policy than it does later on. It builds up a cash value that cash value can be used to pay premiums, premiums, but be really careful with that because when you use the cash value of your whole life policy to pay the premiums, you are lowering the death benefit. The CFP Board of Standards says you buy life insurance to manage the risk of the financial loss that would occur at the time of your death. And that's the only reason you buy life insurance. Life insurance is a tool to provide funds in case you die so the people you love will be okay. So insurance isn't an investment tool and it isn't a savings tool. 
I've heard people, when arguing about whole life, say, "Well, it's a great way to save money. You can save money in the bank. You don't need to bury it into a whole life insurance policy. So, if the reason you're buying whole life insurance is as a savings vehicle, that might be something that you would want to reconsider." I think whole life makes sense when you have a financial need that extends further than the term. So, if you are twenty and you know that your spouse is not going to be able to earn as much money as you, or maybe you're thirty because by thirty your financial life is a little bit more organized. And it doesn't look like your spouse is going to have as much earning potential. You've got thirty-five years. Until that spouse is eligible for Social Security, they've you've got thirty years before. If you have a pension, they can probably access it. So you may very well need whole life to meet that need. It's a cash flow analysis, and you're looking at the financial need of each period of you and your spouse's life, until the kids are eighteen, college for the kids. Between the period when the kids graduate from college and when your spouse is eligible for some sort of retirement benefit, and then finally retirement itself. So, if the need goes away somewhere in the middle, possibly term makes sense. If the need doesn't go away, whole life might be the better option. Well, what about invest the difference? Okay, there's a lot of things that can go wrong with that. First is. Will the amount of difference in premium create enough money to meet the need during that period of time? So, in other words, if you save money on the premium, you've got to save so much money on the premium that it might be able to cover five or ten years of expenses. So, you need to run that again. It's a math problem. I'm not going to say whether it works or not. I'm just saying you need to look at that savings at a reasonable rate of return. What can it grow to, and is that amount of money at the end of the term period of time enough to meet the difference? So be cautious, be careful, analyze the need, look at whether the need ends. If the need ends and your spouse has a great job or your significant other, your partner has enough money and they're going to be just fine, then maybe term's great. You know, maybe it's term to pay off the mortgage and everybody's fine after that. But you really need to spend some time. I'm not trying to sell. Anything to anyone. I just don't want to see you get into a situation where you underevaluate a risk and you regret it later on. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma KVOY 104.5 FM for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and this is the Ask Peggy segment. So remember, if you'd like to send me a question, go to askpeggy.com. That's a s k p e g g y dot com, and send a question to me via、um, email. 
So the question today, I have been asked a lot. I was actually asked a lot about cryptocurrencies a while ago, and then it kind of all died down when they crashed. And now the questions are starting to come up again because cryptocurrencies have had a fairly good run recently on increasing their value. So people ask me what I think about cryptocurrency. And I know it crashed, I know it's coming back, but I really still have to give the same answer I gave the first time. I don't think much of cryptocurrency. And let me tell you why. Let's start out, you know, in the last section we were looking at, why do you buy insurance, right? We're trying to insure the risk of your death. So let me ask you this question, why do we have currency? We have currency so we can buy and sell things. And if it's an open market environment, then we buy and sell at a price that we both believe to be fair, right? If the buyer doesn't want to pay what the seller is trying to get you to pay for it, then the buyer can say, no, I'm not going to buy it. And now the seller has two options, right? They can either say, fine, I'll wait for somebody else or they can lower the price of the product until the buyer is interested. You know, in a microcosm, this is how the stock market works. You've got people who are wanting to buy securities, you've got people wanting to sell securities, and they negotiate the price. The price is in a currency. Now, I understand that the value of the dollar floats. That means it's not a set value that does not ever move. It rises and falls with other currencies. And remember from the first section, I was talking about China devaluing their currency over the weekend, and it's led to a 500-point decline in the stock market this morning. Why is that? Well, it's because we don't want our currencies to change in value. Because when we negotiate the deal, it's assuming that the currency is going to be worth roughly what we think it's worth. You know, the floating of the dollar is tiny amounts of money. And so it's when you leave on vacation going overseas, when you convert to the foreign currency and then you come back, you know, maybe you've made a tiny amount of money when you convert it back to the dollar. Maybe you've lost a tiny bit of money, but I'm talking pennies at the very most. A cryptocurrency movement, on the other hand, is a major change in the value of the currency. So, you know, people are all excited. Oh, I'm going to invest in, in whatever your currency of choice is because look how much it's going up. Okay, that is not a good thing for a currency. It's a great thing for a stock, but a currency isn't a stock. So imagine, you know, this is coming out of Oklahoma and a nice house in Oklahoma, can, you can get it for $200,000. So imagine that you're trying to negotiate the price of the house, you're trying to get it around $200,000, and then the currency moves by 25%. Well, the deal's going to blow up. I mean, somebody isn't going to be able to stand that deal. I mean, if you're trying to buy it for $200, now it's $150. Well, good for you, but the person selling it isn't going to sell it for that. 
So I do not see how, as long as cryptocurrencies are this volatile, they can be used for any major purchases. They're used a lot in black market trading, and that slippage is just part of the cost of using a currency that can't be traced. But for most normal, in the bright light of day transactions, nobody wants their currency to move that much. It messes up the deal. There's no chance, to my mind, that a cryptocurrency is going to be able to, in any meaningful way, replace the dollar or any other foreign currency, even China that just got devalued. And that's a little weird, but that's nothing compared to what the cryptocurrencies are doing. So be very careful with this. It still feels like a bubble. I think what people find appealing, the, the growth and value has got to be fixed before it's a real currency. And then if that's fixed, I'm not sure people like it anymore. Have a great week. I will see you next time. And in the meantime, be prosperous. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>